So Father, we just thank you and we praise you that your presence is here. We thank you, Lord God, for the God who is shalom and who is peace. So we speak peace over this room right now in the mighty name of Jesus. And as we welcome your presence, we also know that you come and you meet each and every one of us right where we are at, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, for this time. It's like a pocket and a space for us to get to come and to just sit at your feet, to learn of you, Lord God, to to humble ourselves, to quiet our minds, and to quiet our hearts, Lord, and to actually start to link up our heartbeat with you, to actually get the thoughts and the mind of, of Jesus Christ, who comes to give us life, and life more abundantly, Lord. You are not the author of confusion or you don't bring a spirit of fear, but you cast that thing out in the mighty name of Jesus. <laughs> because your, your perfect love, that's who you are. God, you are love. So let every woman right now in this place feel and experience the love of God in, in a, a unique and a special and a new way this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you, Kayla. Good morning. All right. Welcome. No one's in the splash zone. You guys are all squished around the splash zone. I think that is so funny. I love it. The splash zone's open if you guys. <laughs> um, so if you guys are joining us um, for the first time, we welcome you. We're starting in the book of Joshua this morning. And when, um, so if you guys, if you are new, we are going through, um, uh, it is the Bible, but it doesn't have chapter and verse. Um, so it's, it's considered like a reading Bible, like, like you're reading through a book. And we're getting the big brushstrokes and the, the big themes of God throughout his word in this Bible study. Um, and the continuity of his message and Jesus seen from the beginning in Genesis all the way till Revelation. So um, if you are new, uh, does someone have the Kingdoms book? Can you just put that up? So we're going through that book right here, which you guys can actually get um, in the bookstore um, and it's, I think, 1490, I don't know, 55 or something like that. 50, yes, with tax um, included. <laughs> and then we have the reading program that goes with it um, and ends up breaking it up to about, about five pages uh, five times a week. And like I said, I don't want to be your mom. I, uh, or I am a mom of three kids already. I don't need any more. Um, so it's up to you. You will get as much of the... Uh, you know, out of this study and of the Lord in your relationship with the Lord as you want, because we are all working out our own salvation in fear and trembling. Um, so, you know, my job is just to lead you to Jesus and um, get you excited um, for the Word of God. And so within that, it's crazy because we will have, like I was looking at the, the reading schedule, and basically we almost covered the entire book of Joshua in this first week's reading. Did you guys do your reading? Did anybody do it? Yeah? Nice. Okay. Good. So, 
Um, so I'm excited for what he has uh, for us this morning. Um, like I said, we're going through the entire Word of God. We started in Genesis. We have all those messages archived. If you guys want to jump back um, into that with us um, and kind of go through it with us too, or just dive in, starting at the book of Joshua. Um, and people find it hard to find our um, webpage. If you go to maranathawomen.org, it takes you directly to our site. So just so you know, maranathawomen.org. Um, but the Word of God is written and put together, as we know, supernaturally. This is not an ordinary book. And from the very beginning, in the first book of Genesis, all the way to the last book, Revelation, there is a theme that is seen throughout, and it is the story of God's grace, and it is the story of God's redemption. It starts with that picture of God creating, you know, Adam and Eve and walking with them in the coolness of the day and saying, this is all yours, cultivate and, and uh, you know, have dominion over it in relationship and in fellowship with God who is our Father you and I are his kids made in his image and in his likeness. And from the very beginning and onset, we decided to not trust and obey our Father who is perfect, who is love, who is peace, who is wisdom, who is knowledge, who is everything that we need pertaining to life and walking in that relationship unbroken, unhindered with him. No shame, no guilt, no death, no separation um, and, and we decided to then listen to uh, the, the serpent there in the garden. But from the very beginning of time, we know that God had a plan in motion to redeem us and reconcile his kids back into that right relationship with him. So that is the theme that goes throughout. And there's layers and layers in this book, the word of God. There's light and there's revelation Again, because it's not an ordinary book, it's the actual living word. It's alive. It actually has the ability, because it is God, God says, I am the word. Jesus is the living word to actually rise up off the page and meet you exactly where you are at with power, with healing, with wisdom, with insight into the exact situation and place that you find yourself to be in. Um, so like I said, not an ordinary book, but the living word of God. Now, throughout this study, we have been pointing out, meaning our last semester that we were together, and you will hear this over and over again, that we are actually pointing out the way that the Bible was written in the Hebraic mindset, okay? We kind of go in the Greek mindset. The Greek mindset goes like this, in a linear line like that. So for example, if there is a prophecy in the word of God, the Greek mindset says, here's the prophecy given, here's the prophecy fulfilled, and now it's finished and over with. Whereas the Hebraic mindset, it goes in circles. It actually shows you patterns. It actually shows you layers of light and layers of, of revelation, deeper and deeper still until there is a final fulfillment in a specific time period. We've seen that we have rehearsals that he gives to us, um, like the feasts of the Lord or, or the months, and, and we talked about Rosh Kadesh a little bit last. All these kinds of things. There's layers. There's all the pictures in the Old Testament. Oh, I'll get to that in a second. It's all teaching us because this is all about a relationship. 
Most of us, and I see, you know, in any kind of counseling situation or discipleship stuff, people want a and you just get it, and you're in abundance, and you're mature, and, but, you know, fix it. Fix it now. And, you know, people come up to me and like, will you pray for me because you have a direct connection to the big guy upstairs. And it's like, <laughs> no, that's not how it, I will pray with you, but that's not, that's not true. Well, it is true, I do. But if you have the spirit of the living God living in you, then so do you. So that's what this kind of Bible study is. You know, we, I want you guys to realize that he's equipped you for this relationship. He's growing every single one of us up. And listen, it's up to the full stature of Jesus Christ himself. So if anyone in here thinks that they have arrived, you will be humbled by the Lord because we will be learning continually. And I say, I believe, not just this side of heaven, but actually as we go into heaven and we are actually like him and we're even changed, he will continually turn the page in in eternity, showing us new depths of his love, new depths of his mercy, new depths of a plan, destiny, all sorts of things. And it's all done in relationships. So you need to not be hard on yourself. You need to be kind to yourself in this room, that it takes time. It's something that you cultivate. But that goes in the Hebraic mindset. He's a good father. So when he gives us a picture here, he goes, I want you to understand a certain level right here of of revelation and light. And then I'm going to bring it back around again. How many times, you know, if you have kids or you ever are around kids, if you don't have kids, whatever, you know kids, being raised. You have to teach them something over and over again. And you do it in kindness, and you meet them right where they are at at that particular point in time. Um, I know, like with my son, my, my baby boy, Isaac, I'm talking about adoption. He would have a certain understanding uh, of, of his situation and of his story and of his family. And it would be at a certain age that he would have questions. And I would meet him with those questions where he was at at that stage in his life that would settle his heart, that would give him what he needed. And then another layer of questioning would come at a older age. And we would, again, we would meet right where, and another level of light, revelation would come, healing, um, uh, depths of truth that he wouldn't have been able to understand when he was this age. Do you see? So this is what the Lord does. This is why the Hebraic mindset is so important. And it's very important for you to realize that's how the word of God is written, as well as, so when we're reading these stories, you've got to think this way. um, And then, then realize I have a Greek mind. I've been trained in the Greek mindset. Done. You know, layer of light. That's the truth. That's that's as far as it goes. Whereas in the word of God, it keeps going and going and further revelation and light. So the, and, and another reason why this is important to understand, you know, why, I mean, people, there is a struggle right now going on. Why, you know, read the Old Testament. There's quote-unquote people out there saying they're very influential. Bible teachers, unhitch yourself from the Old Testament. It's time to get out. That's the Old Covenant. When actually the New Covenant, my girls, where is the New Covenant? Is it written in the Old Testament or the New? Thank you, Jeremiah. And was it made to the church or was it made to Israel? Yeah, it's, I'll give you the The covenant was made to Israel, the old covenant. The new covenant was made to Israel, the children of God. 
And you and I, as, as the church, are engrafted in to that, that root right there. So we're going to come that way continually. And the other point is, when we look at these stories, we want to be wise women. There's a proverb that says that a foolish woman tears her house down brick by brick. And those are the people that are making it up. They're making up what wisdom is. They're making up what truth is. They're being led by their circumstances and emotions around them and what they see with their physical senses, their physical eyes, the physical touch, what they, all those things where the Lord says, I have made you a spirit being first. So if you come and you eat of my word and you let me show you, I will actually open up your spiritual eyes. I will actually speak to your spirit by my Holy Spirit and guide and lead you. You will be a wise woman. You will actually build your house instead of tearing it down brick by brick, but only those who humbly come to my word and submit yourself, no matter what you see, what you feel, what you think, in your limited understanding, and you humble yourself to the word of God, the mind of God that's held in the word of God. And, and you realize Ecclesiastes 1.9 says, there is nothing new under the sun. So these archaic old things that we're supposed to unhitch ourselves from are actually wisdom and life and the very spirit of God is the one who wrote those old dusty words that have no revelation or light to what we're talking about right now. How many of you were here on Sunday and you heard my dad's message on Matthew 24? Stay tuned. I'm like, dad, this is awesome and none of this is in my notes so I'm really sorry. It might be long. We'll go fast. (laughs) That I'm like, okay, look, the world out there is freaking out. You have to be willfully underneath the rock, under the dirt, digging, digging, digging to not see and feel what's going on in the world around us. Wars, rumors of wars, uh, you know, the world is going crazy and mad. Um, And, you know, even the high school students, you know, or no, my niece Quinn, eighth grade, She's like, um, everyone is like doing memes and, you know, there's TikToks and all this kind of stuff about, you know, the, the third world war. She's in eighth grade, you know. So here we have the word of God actually like the front page of the newspaper is, is literally lining up with what the word has already told us the beginning from the end. And that his kids don't need to be afraid because for those of us who are submitting ourselves to this archaic word that has nothing to do in relevance to what's going on, and yet it's actually dictating exactly where we're at and it's lining up perfectly, it actually settles and anchors you. That's what I hope for this study. As you start to realize the word of God is alive, it, 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 it actually, I, I just kept seeing for this morning for our pictures, like to be anchored in your inner man, for, for you to feel this anchoring and this settling, this grounding that the world is desperate and freaking out. There, there are anxiety and depression and fear is taking over mankind, and their mind is, is like the little hamster wheel. They're just, you know, and they're, they're, they're just going off of um, their emotions. But the Lord goes, I'm going to give you pictures. I'm going to show you what it's like. I'm going to show you how you've been made. I'm going I'm to guide you through, and you don't have to do it on your own. 
And I mean, even just hearing those words, does it not just anchor you? So that I can sit with an eighth grader, you know, my niece, and actually talk about the wars that are going on and current events, then bring her directly to the word of God. It settles and anchors her so that she is not fearful. She's not going to sleep with all her other friends who are going, World War Three. are, you know, our friends going to get drafted? And they start making all this, you know, fear and just the cycles. Um, there is nothing new under the sun. Um, and the Lord wants us to be those wise women. 1 Corinthians 10.11 tells us not to be ignorant of the fact that these Old Testament pictures were literally lived out. They were painted in the very stories and lives of our fathers for our benefit, for our instruction. When you start to look and take the word of God and, and let the Holy Spirit guide, it actually starts instructing you in your life and meets you right where you're at and what you need. They're an example for us sometimes of what not to do. Uh, there, It's for admonition, that scripture says. We're supposed to actually learn from them. So to quickly overview um, the, the big story so far, remember with me, you know, fast forward to, we were already talking about Adam and Eve, now go to uh, Abraham. Uh, God chooses Abraham, who's the father of our faith, and he makes a promise to him in covenant that out of Abraham would come the people of Israel. Remember, and then he would have the son Isaac, and then he would have his son Jacob. And then we have the story of Joseph, who then gets sold into slavery into Egypt, that then actually provides for his family in the great famine. Are you guys remembering all these? Like, it's kind of cool when we study the word of God like this as a big brushstroke overview, you can start to see the story of God. This is our story too. And the Lord intimately involved, working out his plan and bringing revelation and light. Because out of Israel, what would come? Literally, the Messiah the Messiah, the Savior of the world. This was the plan from Genesis chapter 3. The promised Messiah would come. The oracles of God would come. The, the scriptures, the prophets would come. So then we find them at this point uh, becoming enslaved in the land of Egypt. Do you guys remember how long they were enslaved? It's about 400 years, yes, because the next pharaohs would forget what Joseph had done and how he had even saved Egypt through God, interpreting dreams through him. I mean, beautiful picture, a Messiah type for us. But then now, through Moses, God would use this man to rescue and to lead his chosen people out of Egypt with mighty signs, with mighty wonders. And then God makes a covenant with his people there at Mount Sinai. So God leads the children of Israel through the wilderness where they, um, they're camped outside the promised land. They're right on the edge of the promised land. They've been wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. And if you were with us before, was that because God was so mean that he wouldn't let that first generation into the promised land? No. It was actually exactly what they said. We don't want to go. We don't want your land. It is not a land flowing with milk and honey. They believed the murmuring and complaining over and over again. And God said, finally, fine, I will give you what you want because I will not force you. I will not force you into my blessings. I will not force you into abundant life. You get to willingly choose because love always has a 
choice. Exactly. Okay. So, um, so this is where we're at right now. God's led, uh, you know, the children of Israel through the wilderness. They're camped outside the promised land that he gave them. It's flowing with milk and honey. And Moses gathers the people and he tells them in Deuteronomy, that last chapter, obey all that God had spoken to them so they might be blessed and not cursed. Listen, blessed and not cursed by obeying the Lord. And um, that then the plan was not for the children of Israel to be the only ones who knew um, because God revealed himself starting with Abraham and then on down the line who he is and what the redemption plan was, um, then in turn actually saying who, who they are, you know, what, what's my, who am I in this world, identity, all those things. Um, they were supposed to go and bring that to the rest of the nations of the world. Bring the light of Torah and the testimonies, the instructions, who God actually is, instead of all of you heathens making stuff up. Making it up. Okay? Um, So that was what they were supposed to do. And the book of Joshua begins right here before going into the land. So let's just take a second, um, because we're going to go this morning through literally... Are you ready? The entire book of Joshua. I'm not joking. And um, but it, it and then it's going to set the foundation for what he wants to bring us into next week. And I'm actually really excited about it. Um, so Holy Spirit, we just ask right now. You know, the first Father, we come to you, my ear Spirit. Uh, we ask that you would. Um, bring, um, you know, some rhema words uh, as we look at the logos. We look at your big, big story, Lord God, and we see these themes, and we see patterns, and we're supposed to see our lives in these stories. And, and like Corinthians tells us, we're, we're, there's wisdom we can learn from these past stories. They play out in our lives. It's for our instruction, Lord. It's actually to bring us life. Um, and so, uh, Lord, you know, I always love how much um, you respect every single person in this room. That, Lord, you're the one by your spirit that guides and leads us into all truth. So that's your word. That's, that's literally the job and the role of the Holy Spirit. And so um, we entrust our hearts and our minds um, to you, Holy Spirit, to, to show us, to quicken us in our spirits certain parts of this big, big story where we can't go into all the minute details, but of the reading that we've done this last week and then the overview this morning that you're going to meet us face-to-face, right where we need um, to, to either, you know, have our minds be transformed or changed, to have a healing touch um, by you, um, to have understanding and enlightenment maybe for, for wisdom for a certain situation that we're facing. Um, so I just, uh, I ask that you would do that in this room this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so Moses, their great leader, has just died. And, and one picture um, of Moses was a picture that he was a, a picture of the law. Remember, he gets the law and the instructions at Mount Sinai there. And what's so interesting is even though he also, here's those layers again, is a picture of a Messiah, a, a, you know, a, a shadow and a type in the Old Testament of what Jesus Christ would ultimately do for all of mankind for all time. 
time, which is literally take us out of bondage, take us out of slavery, take us out of a foreign land and translate us into the kingdom of light, take that bondage off, bring us into salvation. But he was also a picture of the law. And he can bring the people to the very edge of the promised land, but he couldn't bring them in the law, because the law is only to instruct and point us to who? Jesus Christ, who actually fulfilled the law in perfection and gives us life. That's the only way that we can be saved. Um, It would be Joshua, Joshua, whose name in the Old Testament, I'm sorry, the Hebraic um, in the Old Testament name for Jesus. Jesus is the Greek translation. Did you guys know that? Okay. Um, of Joshua, actually. It would be Joshua who would actually bring them into the promised land. And I know why my mind was going, stop, stop, stop. Is the promised land heaven? A picture and a type of heaven? No. The promised land is the abundant life for every single believer this side of heaven. It's what Jesus talked about where torrents of living water would actually spring forth from your innermost being where you're living in connection through the Holy Spirit, literally being guided by him, speaking to him, the joy of the Lord being your strength, where he literally, heaven is breaking out through you as you're a conduit of, of, of his power, of his love, of his light in the world around you now. So it's not actually talking about, because I remember when I was younger, I used to always get confused that this promised land was a picture of heaven. Although, yes, that is promised to us. The Lord wants us to start living in the reality of heaven right now. Okay? Yes? Okay, good. So, um, because there's more for us to, to lay hold of that's already laid hold of us. That's why I want you guys to get that and understand. Um, but in Numbers 13.8, we read that Joshua's name was originally um, Hosea. Hosea means salvation. Joshua was saved. When the blood of the lamb, remember back, when they were in Egypt and the blood of the lamb was applied to the doorpost of the house, that very first Passover, and the death angel goes over, and if the blood of the lamb was not applied to the doorpost of the house, the firstborn would be killed. Remember? Again, a picture or foreshadowing of the blood of Jesus Christ, the lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world and literally even conquer over death. It's the only way to be saved. So Joshua was actually saved in that first Passover. Um, As the firstborn, he would have died otherwise. But his name means salvation, Hosea. Moses changed it from Hosea to Joshua. So it was from salvation to literally Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah is the name of God, showing us that Jehovah alone can bring salvation. There's pictures and shadows and layers hidden all the way through, starting in the Old Testament, going through pointing to an ultimate fulfillment of Jesus Christ coming and walking on the planet, taking away the sins of the world. Jehovah alone brings salvation. So at the death of Moses, Joshua is presented as this new Moses. Like Moses, Joshua calls the people to obey Torah. He calls them to the instructions and the commands of God. He says, we need to obey the things that were given to us at Mount Sinai by the Lord through Moses. Joshua, like Moses, sends the spies into the land to spy it out 
only this time it goes very well. Remember, he sent out the 12 spies, and remember, 10 come back with the bad report that there are giants in the land, and we are but grasshoppers in their sight. And yeah, there's, you know, like, it's flowing with milk and honey, but there's giants in the land. And only Joshua and Caleb came back and said, yes, there are giants, and they will be our bread. We will, God has given us this land. So this, it literally made it so that the children of Israel did not have faith. They did not enter into the promised land. And every one of that first generation, except for Joshua and Caleb, died this side of the promised land. Um, so this time, though, they send the spies, two spies out, and they actually end up going into Rahab, the harlot's house. She hides the spies, and she protects them. And, and this actually leads to salvation for her entire household. Again, we don't have time to get into like, the details of it, but they literally say so that when we come and we, the Lord gives us this city, and she's the one who testifies of it first. She says, all of us are fearful in the land. Our, our hearts are waxing of fear because we know that God, your God, has given you this city and actually given you this land. So Rahab, the harlot, actually is testifying of God. And, and, and then because of that and hiding uh, these two uh, spies um, so that, you know, they're saved. And then they say, well, you know, okay, we'll save you and your family. But what you have to do, do you guys remember the story, is tie this scarlet yeah, rope around your place, your household, and everyone who is found in the scarlet roped house will be saved. But if you're outside of that, we, you will die. Again, it's a picture of the blood of Jesus covering and salvation coming to that household for those who would obey the Lord, trust the Lord, and then do what he says and come under the blood of Jesus there. It's a picture and a type, another, I mean, beautiful. See how good our Father is in teaching us? And, 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 And in beautiful illustrations and pictures over and over again. So it shows, though, that some kings who turn, they would follow the God of Israel. They would be the ones that would say, we don't want to be destroyed. We believe in your God. We know he has given you the land. So then Joshua leads all of Israel across the Jordan River. He brings them into the promised land, finally. And just um, like the sea parted for Moses in Exodus, the River Jordan parts. And it's so cool, again, a picture as the priests go first and carry the Ark of the Covenant across, leading Israel as they followed. So uh, this, again, is going to be a picture that the Lord shows us when I am the one in front. The Ark of the Covenant literally housed the commandments and the instructions of the Lord, and it's actually considered the seat of God, the mercy seat of God, so the blood would be sprinkled there. And literally, the Holy of Holies, the Shekinah, meaning the presence of God, would manifest and dwell in that place. And so it was a picture for all of the people and for us today to say that we follow the Lord. He's the one who goes first, and we go behind. And when he does, he leads and he guides us. And what did he do? He literally made it miraculously so that they walked across safely on dry ground through the waters. So again, these little pictures, I want you guys to catch them because we have too much to cover. Um, But anyway, so this next generation 
that has set foot in the promised land, I love this, the very thing that they do when they set foot on the promised land, they start to embark in abundant life, the things of flowing with milk and honey that God has set for them. The very first thing that they do is they remember the covenant. They remember the promises of God. For some of you, you need to be reminded of the promises that God has given to you as you're starting to embark and set foot as you're following him and he goes before you. Remind yourself of the promises of God that he has given to you, the covenant of God. And then they're circumcised here. That next generation circumcised um, as as God's people. It's an outward sign of the covenant. Um, And then they celebrate the first Passover together in the promised land. Remembering again that picture of God saving them, the death angel passing over, the blood of the lamb that covered them, that again would always point to Jesus who ultimately would be the fulfillment of that. I even wanted to get into circumcision. I was, re- <laughs> I was writing this. Who gets excited about that? Like <laughs> but see, this is the thing too. Okay, this is why I like it. Because there's so much in the word of God that at first glance when you read it, you're like, what the heck? I don't get this. And a lot of times, I don't like this. That seems unfair. How can you be a God of love and this? And what about, and why would you have an uh, uh, uh? And hopefully in this study, what we are doing and learning is that anything that you come with your own thoughts and intellect and understanding and place of light and revelation, and you bump up against the word of God to a place that you don't like and you don't understand, you humble yourself and you say, I don't like it. I don't understand it, but I am submitting myself to you because you are God and I am not. You are infinite, and I am finite. You have been from the ancient of days, the eternal, ever-existing like one. I have a beginning point. You are creator, and I am creation. So do you, do you see what I'm like? So we have to get, and I don't have all the answers. Just because I have the microphone, don't come to me. You ask the Lord, and he will show you. He will meet you where you are at. But even circumcision, you know, there's this comedian, and he's like, so, okay, God, uh, you know, they're like, hey, honey, where are you going? You got some flint knives, and you're going out there with the guys. You know, what you doing? Barbecue or something? No, we're going to cut a piece of our skin off because God told us to. It's like, what? I mean, it sounds just super crazy. But even in circumcision, it's a picture, because we're going to go into this in a different degree uh, next week. It's about the flesh being dealt with. It's an outward picture. It's, a, it's something visible to see about the flesh literally being cut away with. Circumcision is a mark and known only privately because you can look really good and spiritual on the outside and have all the biblical answers, and, you know, but actually be living for the flesh and the carnal and for the things that bring death instead of the things of the spirit in your life. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a mark that's done, and, and it's privately seen. It's actually even something that was ridiculed by the other nations or the comedian that I just talked about right now that is present day. Um, ridiculed and mocked and like, you, that's bizarre and sicko and crazy. 
And yet the Lord goes, I, I, I want you daily to actually be distinguished, to be set apart from the other nations of the world, that you are actually marked by me. It's a picture and an outward sign of the covenant that I make with you, the cutting away of the flesh as I write my laws on the tablets of your heart, not the tablets of stone. So even something like circumcision, we're like, ooh, don't talk about that, you know. I mean, it's powerful, powerful pictures, symbolism, showing, instructing us, teaching us, because we don't know. We don't get it. So this is when Joshua, this is really amazing. He has, oh, okay, so first, sorry, before I jump, the whole picture of being led by the Ark of the Covenant, the priests going before, the waters separate, the dry ground they walk across, they take that first step into the promised land, and before they embark, they turn, and they remember what the Lord has spoken. They, they, they cut away literally the flesh being a picture of like the carnal mind and, and you know man's thinking, man's knowledge, man's ways. It's a picture of that submitting to the Lord, his ways, following him, his wisdom, his timing, all those kinds, submitting to him. And, and then only after that and celebrating the Passover, they start to go forward and embark into the next part of territory. So these things are important for us to do. There's, there's, there's patterns for us to start to partake of in these things. But this is when Joshua has a meeting with a warrior in chapter 5, verse 13, and it's this mysterious warrior. It's very, you know, and I believe that this is none other than um, a pre-incarnate Jesus, literally Jesus going, I can't wait until this point in time. Remember, he's outside of time and space. And he enters in, you'll see, in different pockets and places all throughout the word of God and, and show up and be on the scene. Um, that is who this warrior, uh, mysterious man is, but an actual pre-incarnate, uh, you know, Jesus Christ showing up on the scene and breaking in. And what is so cool, why does he show up as a warrior, as a general? Because Joshua was on the verge of a battle. So the Lord appears to him as a man of war. Now, this is cool. On the plains of Mamre, if you remember, we've already read this, the Lord appears to Abraham. And do you remember how he appears to him? He appears to him as a traveler, as a sojourner, because what was Abraham doing? He was a sojourner. He was a pilgrim. He was literally in a tent. So here, Jesus Christ shows up, and he shows himself to Abraham as a pilgrim, as a sojourner in Genesis 18. The point for you and I We need to watch for the Lord to appear to us through circumstances around us. He's going to show himself in unexpected ways, but for those who are watching and and anticipating that he's going to show up somehow today, today the Lord will show himself. He will speak to me in unexpected ways, but he's going to meet me right where I'm at because that's how good our dad is. If you're looking, you will find him. And we see this demonstrated throughout the scriptures for us. Hmm. Isn't that cool? Okay. Are you guys good? It's really quiet in here. Are we following? Is it good? Okay. Good. So, um, okay. So here we have the mystery man, um, and he tells Joshua, which we, Jesus, um, Joshua, that he is the commander of the Lord's army. And this is so great. Joshua asks him, are you for us 
or are you for our enemies? Who are you for as the commander of the Lord's army? And the response was, neither. Wrong question. Got to ask the right question. The question isn't, are you for us or for our enemies? But Joshua, are you for me? And the Lord Jesus asked the same question. We come to him, are you for me or are you against me? You're for my enemies. He's like, wait, switch the whole lens, the whole question, the whole paradigm, and say, literally, he comes face to face with you and I and says, are you for me? Are, are you on my team? Are you on my side? Are you being led by me? Am I the commander in your life today? Because the whole entire story is not about Israel versus the Canaanites. But what does the Lord say? He goes, the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. You and I get to choose to partner and to obey, following him, his leading, his way, his plan. So then chapters 6 through 12, they go into battles, conflicts with different Canaanite groups. And really, um, it focuses in the beginning on these two battles in detail and then it follows through in all these short stories. It's, it's literally, in time span, years of battles that take place um, with short summaries in those chapters. Um, and the battle that, that really is focused in on is the Battle of Jericho and then the Battle of Ai. Um, and it's cool. The reason that, again, for our instruction and for our admonition, for us to learn and to be wise from this example, um, it's showing these two contrasts. The Battle of Jericho and the Battle of Ai, okay? Jericho demonstrates God's faithfulness. The battle at Ai shows Israel's failure. At Jericho's battle, they obey the commander of the Lord's army, who was Jesus, right? As they follow the Ark of the Covenant, so the presence of the Lord goes first. Then you have the worshipers that go first. Um, and they go around the city for six days, and then on the seventh day, the priests blow the trumpets, the walls literally come falling down. So Joshua, right, in that story, had been seeking the Lord for the battle plans. But what happens in contrast in Ai is he thought, it's a small city, we've scoped it out ourselves, I'm going on my own knowledge, my own intellect, yes, send our warriors, just a few there, and have the battle, do the war, it'll be great, we've already won Jericho, which has its fortified cities and walls, We've got this. Um, and, and how much of the time do we do that? I mean, even coming to Bible study, it's like, oh, I've got, I've got my message. You already spoke to me yesterday. I know you're in it, and I'm confident. And I mean, a, a, a humility and an awe comes when you see what happens. Uh, because at AI, they got their um, tails kicked. In AI, he thought he could handle it by himself, and the spirit of the Lord was quenched in his life right there and did not fight for them. And Paul in the New Testament asked the Galatians, are you so foolish having begun in the spirit that now you're going to be perfected in the flesh? Just because you have a victory over here, the Lord is, it's relationship, it's dynamic. He doesn't do anything the same way every single time. He's saying, I want you to trust me like a dad where we come alongside and you're not doing this life by yourself. You're not figuring it out by yourself. You're not even going off of yesterday's manna, but I've got fresh mercy for you today. I want to visit you in a new way today. And so it's that dependence and, and that relationship. God 
uh, delivers his people when they trust and obey and they follow. But then in chapter 7 and 8, the battle at Ai, the contrast to the battle at Jericho, uh, there, there also is this man named Achan. You guys remember Achan? He disobeys. He steals some of the spoils when the Lord specifically said, these spoils out of this city belong to God alone. They belong to me. He lies about it. And, and they literally, the, the battle goes very, very bad. The Israelites are actually fleeing for their life. Then they're freaking out. Joshua's like, oh my gosh. Now all of the Canaanite towns around are going to hear that we got our tails kicked from this little tiny group right here. And they are going to join and come against us and wipe us out. So fear starts coming in. And what happens is um, they then completely humble themselves. They repent they deal severely with Achan's sin because he lies about taking it. Then the Lord opens it up because nothing is hidden. Everything that we do is seen by the Lord. And, and you will be held accountable for those things. So the Lord opens it up and says it's right here. They find what he had stolen. They deal with the sin. And then Israel has the victory over Ai. So these two battles over different Canaanite people, they're put right up front to demonstrate. If Israel is going to be victorious, they must obey, and they must trust the Lord and his commands um, if they're going to inherit the land. And the same is true for you and I today. If you're going to inherit the next portion that God has for you in your life and in your family and in your health and in your emotional state and your mental state and all those kinds of places spiritually, then, then you are going to have to humble yourself and be in relationship and actually obey. And where there's places that are not correct and not right, we humble ourselves and we repent and we get it in the light and deal with it quickly before the Lord. The story continues with differing Canaanite kings and then 10 through 12, they form alliances to come together, fight Israel and destroy Israel. Israel again and again wins the battles. Chapter 12 shows the victories of Israel First one by Moses, and then it follows through. It's like this whole list followed by Joshua. When we um, hear the stories, you start to think, you know, didn't Jesus tell us to love our enemies? Did anyone think that when you're, like, reading these stories? Anybody? Someone's like, because they're being honest. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you should be thinking these kinds of, you know, like, question and talk, but just go to the Lord with those questions. Um, why does it seem like God is leading them into war? Well, first of all, they're a specific people group, the Canaanites. The culture of the Canaanites had become extremely morally corrupt, especially when you are talking about the sexual practices of what the Canaanites were doing, completely going against what the Lord God had designed for our bodies. To um, You can read about it in Leviticus 18. They also widely practice child sacrifice because of those sexual practices in worship to lowercase g gods, demons, that then would produce unwanted children. So then they conveniently had um, in their religion, you know, gods that you would fire them up and then lay these unwanted children out of those deviant sexual practices and kill the babies, giving them to those gods. Um, and it was widely, widely practiced um, in, in the Canaanites. And so, um, they, so God did not want these practices to influence Israel. In Deuteronomy 7, the children of Israel are told to drive out the Canaanites, to not intermarry with the Canaanites, um, to not enter into business deals with the Canaanites. God 
was, though, open to those that would turn, like Rahab as an example. She's a picture of that. And think about the kindness and the mercy of the Lord. You've got these people that you've heard about their God. You've seen what he's done. You just watch them walk through the sea over here. They're camped around you, and they're coming, and all they're doing is having the Ark of the Covenant go before them, literally in silence, going around their walls. Don't you think for days. I mean, this would have got there. They had no TV. There was nothing else going on. You would sit on top of the walls and be like, what are they doing? And watch what's happening here. There was a delay in the judgment that was coming, right? God is always merciful. Days to say, we've heard about your God. We're going to open our, you know, white flag and come on in and tell us what's going on and surrender. But no, they didn't. Um, so there is that the chance of these things happening. Um, but this is a unique and limited time in Israel's history. And the battles were limited to the people groups living in the land in Canaan. <laughs> and I wasn't going to bring this up, but I'll bring it up really fast. And then don't, you can go and, you know, dive into it or disagree with me. But also, remember, the Lord brought this up literally two different sources to me yesterday after I had my notes written. Um, that there were giants in the land. These men of renown are what they're talked about in Genesis 6. And it literally talks about um, these angels that go outside of the bounds of what God had instructed for them to do and to be and actually have relationships with the daughters of, of men, meaning women. And they have these offspring that are literally then considered the Nephilim, the giants, the men of renown, the stories of old. It's talked about by Peter in the New Testament. It's talked about by Jude in the New Testament, which was the half-brother of Jesus. So they're, they're, when you see, this is another picture, and I'm sure some of you are like, I don't even know what she's talking about. I don't even want to know what she's talking about. It's super weird. She already talked about circumcision. Oh, my gosh. Um, but... It does go to show that when you go, God's so mean, he's just wiping those people out. But you don't even understand that these are all the places that the giants, the union that was not sanctioned or the plan of God, are literally inhabiting in the Canaanite cities and towns. Literally changing the genome of human race. And why would the enemy go to that length? Because it was promised in Genesis 3 that a Messiah would come through Eve and her seed, her having a child, who actually bring redemption and salvation. And Satan's like, oh, heck no, not on my time. I'm going to mess with this. I'm going to make some weird human things. And, you know. and so when you don't understand or you think God is not being fair, it's just because you don't understand and he is fair. He is true and every man a liar. We humble ourselves to him. He is good. He is good. He is good. He is for you. He is towards you. And it is for your future. And it is for your hope. But he won't force you. But when you don't understand, I just want you to show there's so much going on that our little cotton-headed ninny-mugged minds cannot possibly perceive and understand. But he says, I'll show you if you come and you ask of me. I'll start bringing you into all these things. Okay? All right. So there's our Nephilim. Deuteronomy 20 tells us that with all our nations, uh, the surrounding nations, Israel is commanded to live in peace with them. So God is not using these battles 
stories to tell you and I to go, the reader, and commit violent acts in his name. But we will see next week, because we're coming to the end of this, that I, I want us to walk through a spiritual application next week um, through the book of Joshua and about taking territory and the battle that you and I so much of the time are asleep to and that it's spiritual around us. And that taking that land, you and I come up against the giants and what those giants are, how we face them, how we have the victory. So we're going to do that next week. But here we see God bringing justice on human evil at a specific time in history and how God delivered Israel from being annihilated from the Canaanites. And then 13 through 22, as we're kind of getting to the end, years have gone by. Joshua is older now. He's dividing up the land for the 12 tribes of Israel. And it may seem boring to you and I, and we're like, blah, 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 the land, and this is the, and there's no map for us. And we're like, this is old and ancient and weird, and why it doesn't matter to me. It's boring. It's kind of boring. Um, but, but this is what's not boring, and it's very important for you and I. It speaks of God's faithfulness. The promise that he made to one man, Abraham, years and years ago, he is now fulfilling in great detail everything that he had promised to him and his descendants. So again, what would be the application? We want him to be faithful to the promises that he speaks to us. Um, And it's all about the promised land. He literally shows in Genesis 12, 6 to 7, you can look at it. He's fulfilling what he had spoken. Before our very eyes, you see it coming to pass. So the final section um, that you read there in Joshua 23 through 24, um, he's basically, uh, he gives almost the same speech that Moses gives. Did, did you guys, rec- oh, well, no, we we're reading that this week. It's the last couple chapters of Joshua. Joshua speaks to the people and he tells them about how God is gracious and merciful. He's kind. How the Lord has brought them into the land. Remember the the Israelites kept saying, did you bring us out to kill us? He's like, no, I brought you out to bring you in to a land. Not to kill you, but to bring you into freedom and life. Um, And how he rescued them from the Canaanites because God is faithful. So Joshua tells the Israelites, turn away from the Canaanite gods and be faithful to the covenant that they've made um, to God Torah that he gave, and he finishes with, if they do, it will lead to life and blessing. If they don't, then Israel brings upon themselves the same divine judgment the Canaanites brought upon themselves. They will be kicked out of the promised land. They will get what they ask for. Um, and, and the choice, you know, at the end of Joshua then is laid before them, will, you know, you get to choose what you're going to do. And then the Lord looks at you and I, and he says, you get to choose what you're going to do. You know, will you submit? Will you follow? Will you be humble? Will you let me instruct you with my ways and bring you into more of that land flowing with milk and honey? So, Father God, we thank you um, that you are a good dad, that you instruct us, that you just over and over and over again, Lord God, lessons um, throughout history, um, and then you bring them to life in front of us um, today. Uh, I just pray, Lord, that that you know every woman in this room, we would we're here because we want to say we we choose um, to submit ourselves to you, to your instructions, to your ways, and. And I'm not going to go by my feelings, and I'm not going to go by my intellect, and I'm not going to go by what the rest of the world is doing, but I'm going to see what the Creator 
um, and, and the King of kings and Lord of lords has to say about me, his creation, and, and my life, and, and how the only way I can find it is in you, in your ways, in your plans. And, and it's really how much you love each and every one of us, Lord, individually, perfectly. Um, and so uh, just bless our time this next week going through the word, and then what you open up um, for us next week in our time together. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so you guys have some questions on your table that I want you guys to just go over um, to begin with uh, for your table time. And God bless you. I'll see you next week.